Father, we recognize Your perfections. We glory in them. We give You the praise that's due Your name because of them. And Father, we rejoice that regardless of the circumstance we find ourselves in, we are never alone. You're a good Father. You love us. You care for us. You watch over us in ways that we don't understand. We don't even comprehend. So Lord, today as we look into Your Word, allow us to find some things that we might be able to use to give You more glory and and honor to Your holy name. We thank You. We praise You this day. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please have a... Please have a seat. Uh, before I begin my my message, and this might be uh, this might be a little early, but I'm I'm so excited about it, I I can't not say it. I listened to uh, Dan's message uh, yesterday on iTunes. That's right, folks. It looks like we have a podcast available. So if you have iTunes, I recommend that you go search First Colony Bible Chapel. And uh, and you'll be able to hear the messages online without going to the website, which is a good thing, considering the website's not up. So uh, appreciate uh, Melvin's work in making that happen. Also, just very briefly, uh, on Friday night, this coming Friday night at 7 p.m., there's an Excite. It's a pumpkin carving contest. At the uh, at the Williamson, so please avail yourself of that if you are a pumpkin carver. So, one of the uh, very special duties that that I had when I was the uh, wing chaplain at Aviano Air Base was to provide pastoral care for the United States military men and women who were at a uh, NATO air base in Papa, Hungary. It was a seven-hour drive, but I tell you, it was, it was beautiful uh, from start to finish and, and, and back again. We would either go up through Austria, just think a little sound of music there, and whether it was, if it was in the spring or summer, it was green, and if it was in the fall or winter, it was just this uh, white, uh, beautiful place. Or we went through Slovenia, which is less well known for its beauty, but if you've ever been there, it's just as beautiful. It is a gorgeous uh, place. And all the hills as you go along are dotted with little castles and wonderful little fortresses along, uh, along the way. And then we would get to Hungary. Now, now, Hungary, it changes substantially, just the geography. It flattens right out. There are these enormous uh, agricultural fields. I mean, just huge as as far as the eye can see, and and uh, tree-lined roads, more mistletoe than I've ever seen in my life. Whether you counted it up from little until I die or whatever, uh, more mistletoe there, and and in quaint little villages. In fact, it's uh, in in addition to the modern mach- machinery that you can see on the. The, the fields, you'll also see uh, carts drawn by oxen or horse. It's a remarkable place and, and beautiful. So every couple of months, Barbara and I would go to Papa to provide a variety of ministries. One year we even did uh, VBS 
there. And, and while in Hungary, we saw something we'd never seen before in, in our lives. And more likely than not, uh, most of you who have not seen uh, this either, except in, in uh, pictures, we saw storks in their nests. And just remarkable. I mean, the largest birds that we see here in America are like the great egret or the great blue heron. Or we even have a stork that hangs out in, towards Florida, and that's the woodland, the woodland stork. And, and certainly not to say anything against those birds. They're all beautiful in their own way. But the European white stork stands about a foot taller. That foot. It's a bird, right? With a wingspan that's about two feet longer. I think the longest recorded stork's uh, wingspan is about ten feet. It averages about eight. I mean, we're talking about a huge bird. Their, their nests are six feet deep, right? And they're five feet in, in diameter. And they, they live, they love to live near people. So if you build a house and you're in Hungary, you better build it sturdy because they're going to put a big old nest on top of your house. In fact, one of the restaurants that we enjoyed going to uh, most often was called the Stork's Nest because there was a Stork's Nest on it. And it had been on it at, since people could even remember and these storks, they come back year after year. It's an amazing, it's amazing. Now, most of us, uh, when we think about storks, uh, we, we are all familiar with the myth, right, that storks uh, deliver babies. That's my grandson. The stork delivered him 12 years ago. And, uh, and it's... The thing is, we don't know why that is, but there is a reason. It doesn't exactly explain everything, given this. Now, this is a fascinating thing for me. Uh, American Indians, before the time of Columbus, right, they had the same myth. The woodland stork delivered babies. Isn't that interesting? I find that just fascinating. But I'm not going to go with what we don't know. I'm going to go with what we do know Exactly. During the pagan era, it was common, it was very common for people to get married around uh, the annual summer solstice, which is a day of mourning in Alaska, <laughs> right? Because up to the solstice, we're gaining time with sunshine. After the solstice, right, we're losing and in Alaska, that means about six months, well, depending on where you're at, but about six months of, of darkness up there. And it just so happens that that's when the storks would leave. That's when they would leave. They would leave around the summer solstice. They would take off and begin their annual uh, migration. Uh, Jeremiah 8-7 says this, Even the stork in the heavens knows her times, and the turtle dove, swallow, and crane keep the time of their coming, but my people know not the rules of the Lord. That could make a message in itself. But at the appointed time, the storks would return, and it just so happened that the storks' return was exactly nine months after they left. Isn't that interesting? Nine months. And so they came to represent new life 
They came to represent uh, this notion of, of spring and, and, and goodness. And, of course, it also spawned that fanciful idea that they delivered uh, babies. And all this, of course, was popularized by, by Hans Christian Andersen in his uh, fable called The Storks. Now, closer to what we're talking about this morning is how the Norse, in Norse mythology, how they viewed storks, and how storks came to symbolize family values and purity. And even closer, in ancient Greece, this is a fascinating thing, there was a law that demanded, and this is really what uh, one of the Ten Commandments is all about, when it says, honor your uh, parents, uh, this is what it's talking about, not when they're knee-high. It's actually when, when they're older, although it's all included. But it just so happens that the name of the law was Perlargonia. And that was named after the name in Greek of the stork, which was uh, Perlargos. And storks, and the reason for that is because storks care for their young long past when the young were able to fly and to leave the nest and fend for themselves. And that led to this widespread belief that the younger storks cared for the older storks. So honoring your father and your mother actually meant taking care of them in their golden years. Now from what we've heard, storks uh, enjoy human company. It seems that they do. They're, they're self-sacrificing, as it turns out. I mean, many of us have heard the, heard the, you know, the story of the hen and the chicks and all that. Maybe that's true, maybe that's not. What is true is that in the village of Delft in Holland, there is a, a historical account, a credible story, that a mother stork could not get her storklings out of the nest uh, to avoid a fire. So she, in fact, did do exactly that. She landed there and stayed there and covered her chicks, covered those little uh, storklings with her wings in some hope that they might survive. Storks are majestic. They're humble. They're associated, as I said before, with spring and life. One thing I haven't mentioned yet is that they are deadly enemies to snakes. They just love snakes. Uh, and uh, in ancient Christianity, one of the more common images of storks is the storks killing snakes and, and feeding them uh, to their young. One such image underneath it reads this way, Piety is the most secure virtue for men. What that meant was, the notion behind that is the idea of Christ, symbolized by the stork, destroying Satan, symbolized by the snake, and that's best expressed in virtue and piety within the family. Let me summarize this piece. The stork is a compassionate, dedicated, self-sacrificing, devoted, loyal, unfailing, nurturing, defender of good, and destroyer of evil. Now, most of you are probably wondering how you wandered into a lecture on ornithology, that's the study of birds, instead of a sermon. 
However, the way to frame my comments are along the lines of Moody Bible Institute's sermons from science. Some of you will understand that right away, uh, but that's all right. I'll make it clear here in a moment. My message thus far has, in fact, been a sermon from God's creation. And this next bit will begin to bring it all in focus. We're going to look at one little verse and even only a part of that verse. Proverbs 19 and verse 22. And it reads this way. What is desired in a man is steadfast love. What is desired, in other words, when you look at another human being, the trait that you desire to see in them is steadfast love. You may say, uh, you know, John, I, I, you said that twice, and I didn't hear anything about storks. <laughs> but it is there. It, 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 it is there. It's not easily recognizable, but it is actually there. It's found in this phrase, steadfast love. And so here's the surprise. And for the students of the Bible, this may come as a surprise to you. The word for stork is hesedah. 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 The Hesedah is the compassionate, dedicated, self-sacrificing, devoted, loyal, unfailing, nurturing, defender of good, and destroyer of evil. Now the sound of that word should ring a bell. Because another word comes from it. And that's the word Hesed. Because the stork is the model for God's hesed for us. And the primary reason I chose to generate a detailed word picture is because there is not now in English or any other language for that matter a word or a phrase that can capture God's hesed. And I think the only word that captures it is, well, hesed. And I think we should start using that term because when you say hesed, you're referring to someone who is compassionate, dedicated, self-sacrificing, devoted, loyal, unfailing, nurturer, the defender of good and destroyer of evil. Now, we don't have a word that works. But I just hope that I've described to you and given you a word picture of a way that when we think of hesed, we can remember what this is. Hesed. Students of the Bible understand that that word is usually translated as mercy or compassion or kindness or steadfast love, but it's so much more. So much more. As soon as I arrived here, I began to speak of God's hesed through the book of Ruth and the story of Ruth and Boaz. It's a word that speaks to us of God's abiding, faithful, loyal covenant love. In Job 39:13 through 17 is a fascinating, uh, fascinating comparison. Another sermon uh, from creation or science, if you will. It says this: the wings of the ostrich wave proudly, but are they the pinions and plumage of love? For she leaves her eggs to the earth 
and lets them be warmed on the ground, forgetting that a foot may crush them, that a wild beast may trample them. She deals cruelly with her young as if they were not hers, though her labor be in vain. Yet she has no fear because God has made her for good wisdom and given her no share in understanding. Now, that only makes sense if you understand what the first part of this verse actually says. What it says in Hebrew is this, The wings of the ostrich wave proudly, but are they the pinions and plumage of the stork? Are they stork's wings? And the, 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 uh, it's an obscure verse, I get it, but the notion here is to point out the difference, the distinction between the affectionate, loving, dedicated, loyal stork to the indifferent, uncaring ostrich. Hesed is one of, if not the most, I can think of very few words that are even in the same category that have the richness and the power of, in the Old Testament because it is the word that reflects how God loves us and how God loves His people. You have to understand it's not a mood. You don't get in a mood for Hesed. It's, it's not a feeling. It's something that you do. And in this sense, it's where agape, love in Greek, because agape is a what? Part of speech. It's a verb. It is something that you do. Hesed is something that you do. I think a good way to understand this for us is there's an interesting story in the life of King David that can help us frame what Solomon is teaching here. In, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, most commentators, you just pick up a commentator and you, you read uh, what, they're, what they're saying, they'll say, oh, this is David expressing his, his grace and David's uh, mercy because he was just a compassionate kind of guy uh, to Mephibosheth. And so you've got Mephibosheth and, uh, and he's there. So if you know the story, and I'm not going to go into the whole background, it's, it's just, it's, it's too long. But know this, that in, uh, 1 Samuel 20, uh, 13 and 4th following, David and Jonathan have a conversation. Now, who was Jonathan? Jonathan was to be the rightful heir to the throne. Jonathan was David's best friend. And yet it appeared, even to Jonathan, that David was the one who was headed for the throne. So they had a powwow. Because back in the day, when you became king, guess who died? Anyone who had a claim to the throne was put to the sword. That's just the way it was. And so David and Jonathan, they sat with one another and they said, you know what? We're not going to do that. No matter who gets to the throne, not only, there's two things, not only will we not destroy the other's house, but we will in fact go further than that and we will do hesed. That's the word that's there in their covenant. No matter who was king, they would not destroy one another. They would show hesed. 
And of course, after Saul and Jonathan were killed, David took the throne. And so David decided that he needed to show Hesed. And it was intentional. And there was really only one left who was there from Saul's household, and that was Mephibosheth. And so, uh, the, I love the way they put it, Second Samuel 9. It says this, he asked this question after he was crowned king. Is there anyone left in Saul's family that I may show him kindness? The word there is hesed. And it's not even show him hesed. It literally means, is there anyone left in Saul's household that I may do hesed for? On hesed to him. Hesed on their behalf. Hesed. And you've got to remember this. Solomon wrote this proverb. And Solomon knew Mephibosheth for from the time Solomon was a boy. I mean, Mephibosheth was like his uncle. They ate, oh, by the way, at the same table. Hesed speaks to us of God's character. In uh, Micah chapter 7, it tells us that God delights in Hesed. It's a part of His Part of his character in Isaiah it says something else about this. His hesed, listen, this should bring comfort to everyone. And if there's one who has, has not yet believed in Christ and hears the sound of my voice, understand this. Isaiah tells us that his hesed is forever, but his anger is just for a moment. His hesed tells us, Isaiah goes on to say, that God delights not in wrath, but in hesed. Proverbs 3 tells us, don't let hesed depart from you. Why? Because that's a character trait of God that He actually is able to imbue in us, embed in us, that we might be able to practice to others. And Zechariah makes it clear that hesed is generally something that you do for others and they cannot do back for you. In other words, it's not reciprocal. In Hosea 6.6, 6, the Scripture says, I delight in hesed rather than sacrifice. Oh, you may have learned that verse differently. The word, no matter how you translate it, listen, is, is hesed. What is it that he desires in, in hesed? He desires a compassionate, dedicated, self-sacrificing, devoted, loyal, unfailing, nurturer, defender of good and destroyer of evil. That's what he desires. You know, uh, this is Jesus quoted this twice. And I, I believe these were the texts that uh, Dan, a couple of texts that Dan used uh, last week. When in Matthew, right? He was, uh, he was eating with the tax collectors and the, and the sinners and they came to, to catch him. They came to get him. Why? Because guilt by association. Ho, ho, ho. If you eat with those people, what do you do when we're not looking? You know? Guilt by association. And that so wags the tongue of modern and ancient man. In response, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, he quotes Hosea 6, 6. He said, God desires mercy and not sacrifice. And then again, you have in Matthew 
where the disciples were picking some grain because they were, they were hungry and the Pharisees condemned him. And guess what? Jesus quoted the exact same verse. God delights in mercy, not in sacrifice. The thing is, though, that's not what Jesus said. What Jesus said, even though it's translated into Greek as mercy, what He actually said was that God delights in hesed. God delights in Hesed. So we see, I mean, one of the reasons that uh, Jesus chose His disciple at that point was that the Pharisees, they didn't get it. They didn't even understand the very heart of God. So David wants to do uh, the Hesed of God because he understands that God was faithful to him and showed him loving kindness. So how does, how does that Hesed, how does that inform our Christian Walk. I think primarily, not not the least, is by by helping those in need. I, mean, I, I love some of the little things that you you know you find when you read the scripture. Sometimes different versions help. But Mephibosheth lived in this place called Lodabar. Now, if they said Lodabar in the, in the text, you go okay, cool. But Lo in Hebrew means no. In uh, Debar, there's, there's a close word to it that means word, but it means pasture. In other words, no pasture. So why in the world would that be meaningful? Well, you may recall that Mephibosheth was crippled. He couldn't tend to a farm. He couldn't tend to a pasture. He couldn't run. He couldn't walk. What do you think he was thinking when David's men showed up at his door? I'll tell you exactly what he was thinking. I'm done. That's it. My life is over. They showed up to the door. They took him to David. He couldn't defend himself. He couldn't walk. They had to carry the man. And David didn't merely make sure he was okay. He didn't merely not destroy Jonathan's house. In fact, he took some fairly drastic measures and he said, Mephibosheth, you're going to eat regularly. At my table, at the king's table. He got all the fields and all the properties back that Saul had. He got it all back. He got 35 people just to serve him in the palace. You know, I mean, David just lavished this on here. Can you imagine the first dinner, you know? <laughs> he, he, you know, Abigail shows up or Michael or some, you know, some of the royal family shows up and then somebody comes carrying in Mephibosheth. And they're like, uh-oh, what's going to happen here, you know? But it was David welcoming him. And David took the initiative. He didn't wait until the opportunity came to him. He went out of his way to find Mephibosheth. And I want you to see the parallels here. Because there are many and they are significant. Because that's exactly what Hesed does. That's what Hesed did the same for us. God took the initiative. We have life because of His Hesed. You know, listen. I don't think outside of Christ we know what the word love even means. Oh yeah, we know. We you know we get a feeling. We get some kind of a little uh, endorphin. You know, messing around in our brain. But I don't know that we know what love is outside of Christ. We did not love God first. 
the reason that we can love Him, the reason that we can love anyone else is because God loved us first. In the stork and David's actions toward Mephibosheth are pictures of God's hesed for us. God helped us when? He helped us when we were helpless. Because one of the beauties of the Scripture is found in Psalm 10.18 where we find that God defends the helpless, the orphan and the widow. In Romans 5.6, some of you can say it from heart, while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Titus 3.5, He saved us not on the basis of Deeds that we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. Read Greek to Hebrew, hesed. Nothing we have ever done or ever could do would obligate God to us. God showed us hesed in Romans 8.14. He adopted us into His family. You know, and we get to sit at His table. And let me say something about that. Think deeply about some of these things because they're so important. God set your place at His table before you even knew God. He's prepared for us. We get to sit there and He prepared our place long before we even recognized our sin when God took the initiative to send Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. And not only that, not only is that what He has done for us, but because that is what He has done for us, God also desires us to do hesed for others. It's a part of the character of God. We should do the same. There's something in that that we can take part of. We are to do as God does and has done, as David did, as the picture of the stork is, to help the helpless, to show kindness, to show mercy, to demonstrate unfailing love, to take the initiative. There's a couple of ways we can do this. First, Hesed cannot and does not exist outside of community. It's the very essence of koinonia, fellowship. It's benevolence, it's kindness towards someone within the context of relationship. And second, once you've experienced it, you have an obligation to show it to others. It's almost like a pay it forward kind of a a thing. It's best seen in the family. In fact, of the 244 references to Hesed in the Old Testament, fully half of them are dedicated to how you treat your family. I mean, you, you see this all, all through. Sarah and Abraham and Laban and Isaac. The Kenites and Israelites. That's a wonderful story. We, re, we had the Rechabites in one of the readings here shortly. And Kenites are part of that whole story. Abimelech, Abraham and so forth. Hesed in Lot's family. Sparing Lot's family. The second category is relational. It's a relational concept. We saw this, I mean, we, when we went through the book of Ruth, this is what we looked at, particularly when you find uh, Ruth and, and Boaz uh, coming together. 
The main focus of Hesed, though, seems to be that the believer is to put their trust in the Lord in the midst of the most difficult situations and circumstances. I mean, many times uh, believers feel that God is far from them. From my experience, believers most often feel this because something has taken a... um, momentarily taking their eye off 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 the Lord. I mean because we, we know as believers that God is is love, but life can be hard. Life can be tough and sometimes when it is we we need we need help ourselves and many things can cause that. That feeling of abandonment, financial downturns, legal issues, medical issues, relational issues. Proverbs tells us what is desired in a man or woman is hesed. The only way that hesed can flow through us is as God's hesed flows into us and then out and through to others. A week ago, Saturday, Barbara was preparing to leave Sacramento and uh, with our grandson, Caleb. And she couldn't locate, she couldn't find her wedding ring. And it, it, that was a difficult, it was a difficult moment because the wedding ring wasn't the one that I bought for her. It was from her mother. And even a little more history, uh, her younger sister had lost a diamond from her engagement ring. And so Barb took the diamond out of that ring and gave it to her younger sister and put the diamond from her engagement ring into uh, into that ring, which is her wedding ring. It's only been in the family about 50 years, but it's as close to an heirloom as as uh, as we have anyway. And so it was something that caused her uh, a great deal of distress. In fact, she was devastated. Uh, she was despondent. And she was far more upset about the ring and the loss of a ring that one one would think. And as I prayed and I thought about it, I thought, how can I show Hesed to her in that moment? It certainly wasn't by buying another ring. It's not the way it works. But it was for me to understand that, in fact, while the proximate cause of her grief was the loss of the ring. What she was actually grieving was the loss of her mom. A little leftover grieving that hadn't taken place yet. That's what was really going on. And so how would I treat her? I treated her as if her mother had just died. And I think that was an example of Hesed. She didn't need a new ring. She didn't need anything I could get for her. She needed for God to draw near to her broken spirit. She needed something that only God could provide. whole other story, but God gave her her rings back. I suppose in some ways those rings recovered represent God's promise that one day she will have her mother back. From the beginning of the sermon, what I've attempted to do is to diagnose 
a solution to a problem that we experience, all of us, one time or another. If you haven't yet, you will. Where is God? How can I serve Him so long and so well and He be so far from me? The solution is to look to the stork. It's to look to Hesed. I'm arguing for a paradigm shift. I am. Away from doing and towards being. Being in relationship. Not program related, but person related. Beginning with Jesus Christ, get that sorted out. And then with others. As Christians, the emphasis on our growing in the steadfast love of the Lord, Hesed, is by putting our trust in Him and then calling on others to do the same. And when we do this, we demonstrate to the world in word and in deed that our lives and theirs can be grounded in the character of the God who loves them and who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem them through the person and work of our Lord. Father, we pray that we can have some glimpse of your loyal, devoted, abiding, self-sacrificial, ever good for us, your hesed, your love, eternal. Thank you through Christ our Lord. Amen.